This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger and we talk SVU crimes and we have celeb guests and we're so thrilled. But also, what's up, John Oliver? Why were we not used as a source? I'm pissed. (laughs) I didn't even watch it. I'm pissed. You guys know we're in the time machine, as always, because of what of, you know, the way that our release schedule works. This obviously came out a little while ago. But John Oliver did a full deep dive segment about the Law & Order universe, the Dick Wolf universe, I would say. And uh, a lot of people messaged us. Nobody really seemed mad. Most people were like, oh, it's really interesting. And I just talked on, I was just on Hysteria this morning, uh, the other podcast that I sometimes go on on for Crooked Media. And they, uh, one of the women there loves, Alyssa loves Law & Order and asked me about it. And she was pissed. She was like, that's my comfort show. I felt like he was attacking it. And I just wanted to say my thing was he had some good points. He was not talking to me explicitly about SVU because if he had really done a deep dive into SVU, he would know that a lot of his points like don't really track. I think he was talking about Dick Wolf at large, regular law and order, criminal intent, SVU. Then there's all the Chicago PDs and FBI and it's undeniable that he is a cop guy. He likes cops. He likes law enforcement. He wants stories where the cops win in the end, you know? But I, I was telling Alyssa, I was like, if you watch SVU, and we talk about this on our podcast all the time, it's like everyone knows it's a it's it's like a fantasy, number one. Number two, they make it seem like every cop that is not in their little squad is the worst piece of shit on the planet. Like they definitely have done BLM episodes. They've done episodes where they handle cop corruption, cops being assholes. So I don't really think that that show is not doing its part the way that he kind of assumes. It's possible Law & Order regular isn't. It's possible that Law & Order, the Sam Waterston version from like the 90s wasn't doing that. Of course, that's possible. And he was showing all these clips to support himself that were like clips from the 90s, clips from of Sam Waterston being like, yeah, they're trying to defund us. We're under attack. Like, you know, and it's like, that's not SVU. Like SVU is a show that has helped so many people uh, like overcome their own trauma, get out of a bad situation, like learn self-defense and like the ways of the law. I mean, like, I just think that even though it's a fantasy, there's more, way more good that comes out of SVU than bad. Yeah, but, and also, I mean, obviously Dick Wolf is a major part of cop loving, but it's like, that's a procedural. It's like, we need lawyers, we need doctors, we need cops. That's what we watch. That's like all people watch always. Yeah. But, and he um, was like, he was basically also saying that the show spread a lot of misinformation about law enforcement, like that, you know, cases always close or cases always go to trial when like in reality, only like 3% of cases go to trial and like Stabler is known to have a 97% conviction rate when in reality, like 16% conviction rate is like the best a cop can do or something. So it's like, 
of course, of course, he can't be a superhero if we don't let him have like wings or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a TV show. Yeah, but one time months ago, I was on Twitter um, and this conversation came up. John Oliver is not unique. And um, I told someone, I was like, everyone knows it's a fantasy. And they responded, I don't think so. And I go, you're actually right. Like, (laughs) we're pretty nuanced watchers yeah Yeah. and i feel so are our listeners but like we did get all those one-star reviews when we started and it was from cop lovers you know what i mean (laughs) like at the end of the day our idea of like everyone's as astute and like um analyzing the show like us and it's like i think a lot of america's duck dynasty vibes and they're watching it being like doing the pledge of allegiance like (laughs) i don't know if they realize yeah. cops like beat their wives and, you know, rape suspects. Like, I don't think they know that. But they do. They did an episode about that. So how do you guys not know that they do that that happens, you know? Oh, I'm just saying in terms of like giving credit to regular viewers is a mistake. Yes. Yes. <laughs> OK, like my mom <laughs> was shocked yeah. when I was like, John Travolta's gay. She's like, no, he's not. And I'm like, he's definitely gay yeah and to her like like she hadn't even heard that like to her the idea of john travolta being gay didn't even cross her universe so it's like did you ever get to sorry did you ever get to tell a person that ellen degeneres was a bad person no she doesn't really come up in my life no i know but like if you just tell like a regular friend like oh she's not good she's like not nice to people they're like what like you know it's just funny like how yeah, John Travolta being gay is so funny to talk to your mom about. Like she just <laughs> your like, mom's like, believe no it. way, no yeah. way, not being yeah. Barbarino. But everything is like you don't if you're not in in it, and we're pretty light in it. Like, yeah, I guess you would believe PR or you would believe what's happening or these. Like, I used to watch the late night talk shows. I didn't realize they were on there to promote something. Yeah, I just thought you go on to chit chat. Like I right. it didn't even click in my brain that like you're paid to do this because you have to promote a movie like or. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So if you're not really thinking about that, but well, you the should. other, you the should, other thing you that he does, everything he does say, look, I know it's a TV show and if it was completely realistic, it would be boring. But he says Grey's Anatomy doesn't go on their show saying that. Um, you know, vaccines cause autism and, you know, all this medical misinformation. And it's like, yeah, but do you think Grey's Anatomy doesn't convince people that doctors are trustworthy? All doctors are trustworthy. All doctors know exactly what's wrong with you immediately. Doctors aren't racist. Like, of course, that's a fantasy, too, of the healthcare system. Yeah, I feel, you know, like just plain medicine would be pretty boring, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, comparing them is is like silly like i don't think the show is um i think he has you know some good points like and you know we we know dick wolf loves cops like we know that so you know we are sort of suspending that our disbelief about that so that we can enjoy the show because we like these characters and these characters are you know part of the fantasy Yeah, this is like um, on to the next, but it reminded me of this. But like there is a new thing on the Internet where people will be like, and this character's bad. And it's like we're allowed to watch things about bad people. Yeah, I don't know why things have to be real. That's why it's movies and TV. Right. Right. My dad, he hates sci fi because he's always like, that's not real. And it's like, who gives a shit? It's like so psycho. No, but it's like. Dexter, Nurse Jackie, like shows yeah. about people that are like 
deeply flawed, but are also like lovable and interesting. And like, yeah, it's just crazy. Anyway. But yeah, like so, bad people, like, I, I, yeah, it's everyone's weird. But also, I have to remember the internet's not real. Like, yeah. And so when people are upset on the internet, that's not real. Yeah. But because I spend so much time on the internet, it's hard to break that apart. And like, yes, like we were just talking on the other podcast about the, the little mermaid trailer that dropped and how everyone's outraged. And I was like, but is everyone outraged or is this just like what blogs are picking up to talk about? You know, like I, I think that movie's probably still going to make millions of dollars. Like, oh, I don't I think we wait. need to worry, you know? Yeah. Uh, racism sucks. It really does. Yeah. It's like she's so good. Like she looks beautiful to be that like dumb and hateful. So weird when someone sounds that good. <laughs> like, yeah. She's everyone that's talked about her singing on set has burst into tears. The director said she was the first to audition and he burst into tears and seven people were crying. Melissa McCarthy was on Watch What Happens Live and Andy was like, how is filming? And she goes, I, I heard that her sing and I was fully in tears and everyone on set was stopping and hysterically crying. <laughs> and it's like everyone on set is hysterically crying. Can we just like say she's good? Like, I just don't get it. Like, who cares? Um, wow, but also I did, I did cry a lot at Lady Gaga. I did go there. I did see a lot of you. Hi. Um, yeah, it was an incredible show. I definitely cried multiple times. I would love to see Gaga one of these days. Um, uh, but it's so weird now that we're older. Ever like people are younger than us. I went to get my eyebrows done, and I was like, "So are you a Gaga fan?" She goes, "Oh yeah, I went to her concert in 2012. I was in high school." And I was like, "Oh, weird." <laughs> it's just so strange. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast the other the, today about where they were having this conversation, like, do you think that younger kids like really love Beyonce? Or do you think that's like such a millennial thing? Like that millennials are obsessed with Beyonce and it's not really like the Gen Z don't care as much. And I was like, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I have no idea, but we're, we're what the ads are. Like, did, did no one take an advertising course in college? Like what you want is the 22 to like 35, right? And then 35 yeah. to 40, like the, it's like, yeah, we make the decisions. That's the whole point. You get old and then advertising you. have for you. the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. the money, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's for us. Beyonce is for us. Deal with it. Um, no, I don't know. I don't think my, like, Gen Z knows about Britney Spears and, like, what she meant to us. They I, they don't know who the Backstreet Boys are. Like, I, I don't I don't think they understand yeah. what I'm like. Holy shit, I got, we got to see the Backstreet Boys. Like, that they care. Yeah. I can't um, believe how many concerts I've seen this year. It's pretty exciting. Casey I know, Musgraves, coming out of pandemic, you're really like busting out into the concert Street scene. Gaga. I want to see Muna and Noah Cyrus. We'll see if that happens. Hmm. We'll see. Is that it? Is that all? Oh, well, I've watched. I started watching Indian matchmaking. I like it. But wow. we could start this episode. It's yeah. A good, it's good. Wait, before She's we good. start, we before we start. We did see Christopher Maloney and Mershka Hargitay at the Emmys. They did have a big Emmy moment where she took her shoes off and like ran through the whole like hall and it was pretty funny. And then like when she got on stage, Christopher Maloney was going to hand her an Emmy. She goes, I'm good. I have two. And it was so funny. I loved that. Um, and they make me uncomfortable. I'm going to admit this to everyone. I can't watch them when they're not acting like they're I don't like they make it. me uncomfortable. I don't. 
I think that they're trolls. I think they're trolling all of you. I think you're never going to see them kiss ever. I'm so sorry for people that like ship them. I just don't think they're ever going to give you what you want. They almost kissed on the show. They did a whole thing where they leaned in like they were going to kiss and the crowd went wild. And I'm sure everybody was like, like in their pants, you know, letting it rip. But like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, that does not, I don't think we're ever going to see it. And I just feel like they're trolling us. And I kind of don't like the idea that I'm being trolled. So I'm fully off of the boat of ever wanting to see it. It's just like, are they swinging with their, like, I don't, I don't get it. I'm sure that their spouses are like best friends with each other. And they like do Hamptons barbecues and shit. It's all like a joke. They're playing it up because honestly, that makes you watch the show more, you know? But that's, I don't know. It makes me so uncomfortable that I don't watch their interviews. I was watching Lon. Love interview them on the red carpet and then immediately she's like and what about what are the chances of Olivia and Elliot and I'm like get me out of there and they're yeah. always touching each other like for they just make me like the it's like extreme sincerity in this creepy way that I can't handle but I love <laughs> that you said she's like oh I got to like I love that I'm glad yeah. to know all this I'm obsessed with them but like when they get together it's just like why are you gripping each other so tight? Like, <laughs> you won't fly away. Like, like, and did you guys book your flights together so you could hold hands and take this photo so that everybody could think that you guys traveled together because you're really in love as people? Like, it's just funny. Like, but I don't know. the Demois said that people who saw them said that they have such best friend vibes and that yeah. they were like together all night having fun. I mean, when we meet and hang out with them, we'll let everyone know. But yeah, we'll let you know just, what happens. We'll let you but because the other thing, it's like, yeah, like never forget that they're they both seem extremely happily married, like obsessed with their spouses. So I don't think that they're, you know, it's like, it's definitely the care. They're playing the characters when they're out at pretending to kiss. Uh, that, um, see, that's why it's so, I don't know why people believe anything. The PR is so strong. Yeah. But so hard. But Margate looked the best I'd seen her look in years. She looked so snatched and gorgeous. Like she just looked really beautiful like skin perfect like really really good on the red carpet wait I like another that. internet moment how do you feel about jimmy kimmel with quinta bronson's acceptance speech how do you feel about that story that he like that he's that he just lied there i think it's annoying and fucked and I, I think he should have gotten up but yeah maybe he was like i gotta commit to the bit maybe he thought quinta would play around with it it was like for comedy writing i don't know Sure, but it's like now he's on the bottom of every photo of her accepting her Emmy. Like, yeah, because that's the whole thing where he didn't mean to do it. They're friends. She's going to be on his show today and whatever. We'll see how she reacts to him. Um, And she did talk to the press about it. Like, I love Jimmy. He's like Mm -hmm. a godfather, whatever. But I think that's the point where it's like he didn't mean to do it. That's just what whiteness lets you do. Like, and Mm -hmm. makes you think it's fine. Like, I think that's the point where it's like he wasn't malicious. He's not some like lunatic, I I don't think, but he didn't even think about it. Like, I think that's the point that so many people are trying to get across that like whiteness makes you not think about things or what you're affecting or what moments mean for others. Like, get the fuck out of her speech, bro. Yeah, like when they just announced her as the winner, he should have just like scooted away. Just hop out of the way while she's making her way up. Yeah, his, his excuse was, I didn't even know where I was laying. And it's like, she kicked you and gave you her phone. You knew she was, you don't hear you have auditory issues. You can't hear she's right next to you. Like, I I am an annoyed, like, making anything about you when it's, like, someone's big moment to get an award and talk is, like, annoying to me. Yeah. So we'll see what 
comes out of it. Like, I don't think he's the worst person, but it's like, you're fucking annoying. Mm. How did he become the king of everything? How is he friends with Jennifer Aniston? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> the man show guy. Like, I just, I don't understand how he's like the most beloved man out there. I don't know. Maybe he's a great guy in person. I never met him. I don't know. <laughs> show. But he definitely have... was quoted during Time's Up stuff being like, are you sure we've gone too far? Like, he's definitely like, I don't know. I just think laying there thinking that you're f- and the bit didn't work, bitch. Like, it didn't yeah. work. You're the godfather of comedy and you don't realize the bit didn't work. Roll over. Go yeah. away. To be in every photo of her speech. Like, that's so annoying to me. I saw some people on the Internet edit it out. Oh. him out so she so can there have, we go she can so she can frame she can it. have some clean copies and a really quick update about our texas shows that we had to reschedule in houston and dallas we have rescheduled them so the dates that were originally supposed to be the 28th and 29th of september now we will be in houston at the houston improv on december 13th and we will be in dallas at the addison improv on december 14th so thank you guys so much if you have tickets uh they'll just be honored at the new date and if you um you know haven't bought tickets yet come go get them at that's messed up live.com and uh yeah all that info's on our instagram too and we hope to see you guys um okay let's, let's get our start. episode started today we have a great guest a great episode and don't go anywhere all right we're doing plastic life's fantastic um, season 20, episode 11. I'm very excited for this one. It starts off with some like fun, not copywritten disco music, I would say. Um, <laughs> we're at a party. Someone is vaping. Two girls are making out. So this is a cool party. This is uh, a trend. SVU thinks two girls making out means wild ass party. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the vaping is so of our times. Like th- <laughs> this is obviously... A current episode. Then walks in Mark Feuerstein, um, one of my favorite actors and a public Jew that is cool, I would say. A nice, famous Jew. Um, and he's with a woman that's taller than him. So we can assume that he is wealthy. <laughs> he likes what he sees at the party and he's like, wow, gorgeous crowd. And then one woman walks by and he goes, for the most part. And we get shade. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. (laughs) And we get the title name in the convo immediately. Um, So then the tall woman says, nobody's ever perfect enough for you. And he says, one is and I'm looking right at her. So, you know, they're in love. They like each other. So then they make out a little bit. And then she says, let's mingle. They do a sexy look at each other and they start moving through the party. And the camera pans to the hostess of the party. And she's making the most disgusting drinks. I have a blue mule. (laughs) <laughs> with blue curacao what is it curacao 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 yeah with moscow like why i think i mean to me b- blue curacao doesn't taste like much so it's truly just to make it look blue but like i don't really know sure, why but the moscow mules are in the the copper glass yeah 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 so you can't even see so it's like no. just turning everyone's mouth blue and like gr- and yeah that sugar is- calories yeah. everyone's supposed to be hot and it's like because I just watched um, someone mix a drink called like Sexy Mermaid and it's like orange and blue. Look at that, you know, but you can't even see it. Yeah, that is like that is like so true. The copper mug makes the blue part completely moot. 
And it's a house party. Like, why would you want blue stains on your house? It should just be vodka sodas forever. Like, and I just it, don't get it. It's also confusing to me that this woman is very rich because she has this gorgeous apartment and she's like making the drinks herself. She's like carrying trays of drinks, like all like, you know, all ha- harried and like, oh, God, my, my tray of drinks. And it's like. You would have a bartender. I know people less wealthy who get bartenders. No, when I first started writing, I wrote the bartender is making drinks. And then later I had to go back and edit and be like, oh, I guess it's the hostess. Like, I guess it's a very wealthy woman. (laughs) Like that's mixing blue drinks. I I just it it was insane to me. But um, and it doesn't it's just it reminds me of like pucker. Yes. Apple teenies. So. She's making these blue disgusting drinks for her so-called friend. Um, It's a black sparkle dress, blonde hair. And the blonde girl's like, damn, all of your friends are so hot. And she's like, yeah, get out there. It's cuffing season. Go fuck. (laughs) And then there's like a hottie with an accent. And so the blonde girl starts talking to this like dude um, with an accent. And then, you know, the, the camera is panning throughout the party. So then Mark Feuerstein walks up to the host and offers to help. Tre- and we find out her name is Trina. He asks, um, hey, do you need some help passing the tray of mules around? And he gives her a sexy French bottle of wine. And she's like, oh, wow, thanks. And he takes the tray and he's out there. Now, the blonde. Is- Isn't it Italian? Sure. Well, she just says, I love Italian reds. That's oh, the yeah. only reason why I remembered it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe it. Uh, <laughs> so, and then it's like, uh-oh, the blonde is having a hard time functioning. And she's in the bathroom mirror, and she's drinking, like, water from the sink and splashing water on her face. So we could tell she's not doing well. And then a really tall, pretty woman um, walks in, and it's the woman who was with Mark. And she's like, hey, babe, are you Okay. Um, and the blondie's like, oh, you know, too many Moscow mules. She says, well, my boyfriend's a doctor. Let me get him. So the hostess walks into her bedroom and there are so many people hooking up. It's like a teen party, like truly like five (laughs) separate people. It's not even one big orgy. Like everyone's just like throughout her bedroom hooking up. And so she kicks everyone out and the hottie with the accents in there from earlier And Trina asks the guy, like, where is Ava? And he's like, who? And she's like, the girl you were dancing and chatting with, where is she? And he's like, oh, she was wasted and left. So now we cut to Ava and she's disheveled as fuck. She's getting she's like almost getting hit by a car. Makeup is smeared all over her face, underwear around her ankle. And she starts buzzing, trying to get into a building, any building. Thank God it's a gay couple. Um, And wait, did I tell you this? That so last time. Remember we stayed at that resort thing in San Diego when we did yeah. the mic drop? Um, so I was there doing stand And while we were there, there was like a guy that was freaking the shit out of me at night. Did I already tell you this? No. He like walked up and we'll tr- he, he thought our liquid deaths were beers. And this guy just walked up. I could tell he was drunk and he was just standing over us. And I was like, I want to get away. But Molly was like drunk. So she, like they couldn't. They didn't, and I was high, so I was up paranoid, and and Molly's like, was like defenseless. (laughs) No, they were like, oh, let's just walk this way. I go, no, the guy's over there. You can't. Wow, he's fine. I'm like, he's not fine. He's fucking creepy. It's night. I'm scared. Yeah. But then we walked, um, and then we saw a guy who worked at the resort. So I was like, hey, can you like walk us to our building? I don't really feel safe. I saw a guy I wasn't really into, and then he ended up being a creep, touched my lower back, (gasps) and tried to walk us into the room. And Molly pretended we had a fake other room 
and we're like, okay, thank you. Bye. And it was like, I can't believe the person we looked to for help in a uniform was actually also a creep that was touching Ugh. me. Everybody's disappointing. I mean, that's scary. This scene is really scary. Like this yes. scene like is like the way they shoot it. You're like kind of at her POV and it's like out of control. And you're just like, somebody help me. Like I've, lo- thank God I've like never been that drunk in New York City. Where, but like that just feels, or not drunk, like drugged or fucked up. You know, like that just feels so scary. But well, thank yeah. God it and was a so gay couple. With the buzzer too, I was like, who knows who who's going to open yeah. this buzzer. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw it, it was just like lovely gay men. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> and that's why it reminded me of like just going to ask for someone for help. And then they're the fucking psychopath. That, like it it was just um, annoying. And it was annoying having to convince like a drunk person who wanted to have fun that that was like a man that made me uncomfortable. I was like, this guy yeah. is standing over us silently. It was... Not my favorite. And then he was like, oh, I'm going back to my room. And then he didn't. He just stood like 10 feet away from us, just standing there. Yeah. Ugh. I was like, I just wanted to lay by the pool and smoke weed at night and chit chat about our fun lives. And then it was like, I guess we have to rush to our rooms. Um, anyways. <laughs> to protect ourselves from creeps. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, two old gay men. Um, one is like, you got the wrong house. And then he realized what's happening. Um, and she's crying and begging for help. And the men run out and they're like, what's up? And she says she was raped and they help her immediately. Um, and then it cuts to the elevator doors opening in the hospital. And it's Benson walking out to meet Carisi. And they have coffee and they're doing a classic walk and talk. And, the co- and then the coffee he hands her is almond milk, no sugar. So I just took note of that. Um, Carisi gives the rundown. It's Ava Purcell, 30 years old, MDMA, Kalanzapan, and B- and her blood alcohol was 0.15. Um, and then rape kit, minor trauma, bruising on thighs, and then they said semen. They never really usually say semen. They usually say fluids. Yeah. This, like, sickened me more. Well, we just did do that episode where they talked about, like, the actual number of ounces of semen in the stomach, and that was a yeah. lot, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, the semen's in the throat and mouth, um, and they're going to run DNA. They meet her in her hospital room, and she's like, I don't do drugs. And they're like, maybe someone slipped you something, and she's like, I, like... I don't I don't really know. So we find out, you know, like the host is actually her new boss. So she was at her boss's party. It was at this boss's loft and she danced with a man named Lee. And then she started to feel heavy, hot and went to the bathroom. And after that, everything got fuzzy. So they're like, where was the assault? When was the assault? What's up? And she's like, I do not know. I woke up in a strange bed. My ankles were tied and she untied them and just started to run. Um, She said that he smelled sweet, like Gucci Rush. And she said it made her think of high school. Do you know Gucci Rush? I don't know the scent of it, but I never heard of it. When I think of like high school scents or college scents on men, I think of Aquadigio. Yes, the, the, that's the yeah, one. That's, that's what I one. think of. <laughs> that's the one. And on women, I probably think of like, I don't know, something like, I don't know, something different that a lot of gals wore. What did a lot of girls wear? Like, I don't know. It depends on the time period. Well, I don't know. I remember the Gap body sprays were really big, but I think Huge. it was junior high. Like, I used Huge. the Dream one. Dream and um, the Heaven I liked as well. And then there was Grass and then there was Ohm. There was like a bunch of them. I love scents. Like, I could t- talk about scents. I wore, I was obsessed with Betsy Johnson's perfume. She discontinued it. And it's like, I still to this day would buy a bottle of it if I could find it. Like, I loved it so much. 
And then, you know, never forget sunflowers in like eighth grade. You might be too young for that. No, I wrote sunflowers and CK1. CK1. And I was thinking like cool water. Oh, yeah. was big. Davidoff. But I've recently rebought my like the juicy perfume and I love it. It's so good. And I love the Abercrombie 8. Yeah. Fun scents. Fun, uh, fun times to be alive. Do you even wear perfume now? You do. Oh, yeah, I do. I have like a very signature perfume that people recognize. What is it? It's called, um, the brand is called Toka, T-O-C-C-A. They sell them at Sephora and stuff. And then they have like a line of women's names and mine is Stella. Interesting. I don't, I can't just like say it's called Stella because then people think it's Stella McCartney, which is also a lovely fragrance, but it's not mine. Yeah. I also (laughs) use, I love the Mark J. I mean, yeah, we're, my mom got a perfume every like Mother's Day birthday. Christmas was like, here's a fucking romance. Ralph Lauren, here's a Dolce Light Blue. Get out of our faces. I got, I got my mom Vera Wang perfume (laughs) a few Christmases ago. Yeah. We're big into scents. I do love perfume. Um, anyway, but, so Gucci Rush is the one that reminded uh-huh. her. Good clue. And then she goes, oh, wait, it was hers. Oh, she smelled. And then she's like finally starting like, remember, the scent brought her back to the place. And she says that um, it was a couple and the couple was taking turns. It was a man and a woman. She starts to cry. They both raped me. Dramatic music into the credits. Sorry, I, I do feel bad we went on such a tangent about perfumes. And then the next <laughs> line is, they both ra- raped me. They tag team raped me. <laughs> After a full monologue of perfume scents. Um, we open back up in a shocking turn of events. Um, and we're not in the squad room. That never happens. I feel like we always come back from yeah. the credits to the squad room. So we're at Trina's apartment getting the scoop. She says, uh, oh, God, that's awful. Um, she did find that Ava's person phone were under a table last night. So that's obviously suspicious that she like left without those things. Um, it was so crowded. She didn't even see her much. She feels like she didn't even know half the people at the party. They bring up the man with the accent, Lee, and she's like, no, he didn't assault her. But why are you so sure of that? And she's like, because he was here all night and he is still passed out in her bed in little black briefs. Um, (laughs) They bring up the couple situation like, well, was it you two? And she's like, come on, we didn't even fuck till five in the morning. Like, leave us alone. (laughs) Um, So who else? Who else? Like, let's start brainstorming, bitch. And she's like, well, there was a doctor and he brought wine. Um, She doesn't know him, but she could tell the wine was super expensive. So she hid it for later. So she hands over the wine. Finn um, is leading the meeting in the squad and he's filling them in on Lee, who is also full of drugs and is an out of work actor, <laughs> which I, I love. D- oh, my God. Someone said the funniest thing to me yesterday. They go, you watch Law and Order for business and Housewives for pleasure or something like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I I really loved it. D- so anyways, so DNA, no match. Um, but, you know, Lee did give up his DNA, which I think is a good sign. And it's like, I don't think it's him if he was so willing to give up his sperm. So now since the wine is so expensive, the company keeps all the IDs of people who buy this wine, Barbarescu wine. And I, that's a stretch Bar- Barbaresco. That's a stretch to me, I feel, (laughs) that like they're keeping a database of everyone. And so, but it is $500 a bottle. Um, And so some of it was shipped, some delivered, and only one was bought at a store. And the name on the credit card is Dr. Heath Barron, which is an evil rich name. (laughs) Like, and not a Jewish name. Is Mark playing not a Jew here? I think he's playing not a Jew. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta tell ya. 
And he's not just a doctor, but he's a celeb plastic surgeon, king of mommy makeovers, and does reality TV and does the talk show circuit. So he's out there just like a regular old Dr. Oz. Um, his girlfriend is Sadie Parker, and she owns Sadie's Sugar Shack, which is designer cupcakes. So let's see if Ava can make an ID. So she finds the doctor and she's like, yes, yes, yes. And Creasy's like, are you sure? Maybe you recognize him from TV. And she's like, I don't watch TV. I don't even own a TV. So she's now annoying. Um, And so she also then recognizes the girl and that she was so nice and helped her when she was feeling sick. And she doesn't really remember anything else, but that this nice woman did give her a drink from her water bottle and then everything kind of went dark. um, And she like, but before she like blacked out, she does remember the woman saying my boyfriend is a doctor. So they got a move and they head towards the townhouse of Dr. Heath Barron. So I looked up the street where the townhouse is and it's Grove Street and it's only a five block long street in Greenwich Village. I've been to Grove Street. I've been to uh, Saturday Night Live after after party on Grove Street. There was like a club called like 49 Grove or something that they used to always have after after parties at. Yeah, I don't know. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Of course. I don't know what, like, usually I see the streets and don't know, but Grove Street, I was like, what the fuck is that? You know? (laughs) I only know it from being there at four in the morning, being like, can I come in? (laughs) But it is like the village does have all these little cute, like Cherry Lake, like all the calmer, like they're all these tiny streets. And if he lives here, like, this is no joke. If he has a townhouse on a five block long street, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) This is an ancient street. Um, So he's calm. He's confident. He's like, wow, they sent the big guns when Olivia introduces herself. And he's like, we can put this to bed fast. I mean, sex can become complicated. But she's like, well, why would she accuse you of rape? And he's like, that's what I would like to know. Benson asks if he drugged her. And he says, no, she actually offered me the ecstasy. Creasy is talking to Sadie at the same time. And this is the first time these interviews are not gender divided. And a lot of firsts for this episode. And she's saying that Ava was into it. And if she can speak with Ava to clear it up and Chrissy's like, no, that's not going to happen. Ava is not confused at all by what happened. And she's like, well, she must be. He asks how they met and we saw how they met. So we know that when she starts the story, it's kind of a lie. She says they met in the bathroom. She said they were sharing these terrible blue, blue drinks and Ava thought she was pretty and that Heath was handsome. And she mentioned she had a bad three way college and maybe it was time to try it again um she mentioned the bathroom moment now so maybe she wasn't lying and she offered to help but like we saw that ava did not know sadie when she walked into the bathroom like i don't think they were hanging out before and she also says that um ava offered ecstasy and that sadie took it so they're saying she's the drug addict that they were actually like drinking having fun and that she was the one that like brought up threesomes um, they said after they took the ecstasy, they started rolling, they got handsy, and they kissed. Back to Benson, who says, well, she had a Klonopin in her system and or whatever drug I said earlier. I'm not a pill popper. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and the doctor's like, whoa, that's a dangerous combo. That's no good. And so they're like, so you didn't give it to her? And he says that's against all codes. He would never. And he says it was her idea to go home. And they both said it was fully Ava's idea. And she asked to be tied up. They have a solid story that it was all her idea, the drugs, motives, everything. So she said that they um, actually had plans for breakfast, but she was gone 
on this morning and that they're in shock that this is happening. They're so confused and they're convinced that she is like using them or was going to use them or use them. I don't know. They're just mm-hmm. like rich and hot. They don't know what they're saying. Um, Benson does not like this dude. We can tell she does not trust him, like him at all. And neither do I. I mean, are you like, oh, no, this is a red herring. I feel like immediately <laughs> you're like, this is the man who did it. Like, yeah. there's no games here. He makes a sugar baking sex joke and goes to the classic of him having a public profile. And I don't know anything about this woman or her agenda, but me and Sadie did not assault her. And if she keeps this up, I'm going to have to call my lawyer. We can assume it was commercial time. And now we're back with Rollins and Benson at the vending machines and we hear a snack drop down. Um, Then Rollins opens a bag of pretzels and says, Botox and cupcakes seems appealing. I'd be down. We won't say the name of the person, but one of our friends is fucking like these Botox, a Botox couple. And so he gets injections and then like they all fuck. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. I want a two stop shop. That's great. So Rollins here is pregnant as hell. And she, of course, (laughs) sides with the creeps like he is hot and famous and rich and she is a model. So, yeah, I'm sure people want to fuck them all the time. Ava walks in and is looking stressed. And it's like, you guys were just (laughs) like they were just talking shit about her. But Benson (laughs) tells her that they're saying what you know, that they're saying it's consensual and that you gave him the drugs. And she's like, I don't do drugs. That is not true. And then she gets mad like you don't fucking believe me. And they're like, we're just trying to like get to the bottom of it and she and then of course Rollins is like we heard that you had a three-way in college she's like even if I wanted to try it again I did not want this she then flips out that they don't believe her and screams I do not want this and they raped me um are you gonna arrest them and Benson's like we will get a search warrant for their apartment we're working on it like we will find stuff relax so now Carisi and Finn are in the mansion and they're walking around and it is the biggest medicine cabinet I have ever seen in my life there's no less than 30 bottles okay it's just like so many pills there's not a lotion not a mascara a toothpaste like all Nail pills clippers, not a q-tip it's pills pills pills. pills 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 uh codeine ambien oxy xanax and they're all prescribed to her from him so carisi goes yep nothing illegal and finn's like okay i used to work in narcotics you're an idiot you don't put illegal stuff with your legal stuff you dumb bitch so he goes he finds weed but even the weed has a prescription so what the fuck and then Carisi's loser ass finds like chains and leather and stuff and he's like well what happened to champagne and candy and it's like what you, you want to fuck with candy like I don't understand <laughs> what you want like we're talking different like times of <laughs> activities yeah. you know what I mean? yeah the candy's the gift at the beginning of the date dude it's not like what are you doing with candy <laughs> yeah like yeah putting like dots in their buttholes okay (laughs) so carisi then finds thumb drives and a corresponding notebook with the number on the drive so and with each drive number there's like five women's names under it so then we watch the rapes on an ipad (laughs) the whole squad is watching these videos go back for over a decade and benson says get these fuckers arrest them so they head to a restaurant where he's in a private room with Sadie and she's making out with another woman. And he's like, I've been polite and accommodating and now I'm pissed. And they're like, actually, you're arrested. Fuck off. Handcuffs, handcuffs. Then Sadie screams, I didn't know threesomes were illegal now. This is New York, not Texas. And they handcuff her. And then the woman that was just getting made out with is just like left behind in the dust. Like, OK, I guess that's that. Um <laughs> 
Of course, the attorney walks into the interrogation room like, are you fucking kidding me? And Finn is like, we have a video of her and she's too passed out to consent. So that is rape on tape. Then they show the iPad and it's another video of a woman passed out and him on top of her. And he's like, nah, she's pretending to be asleep. Her name is Melissa Nonchalk and she fantasized about being a living doll. And that's what she wanted. Then he starts talking about erotic things and ecstasy and collapsing. And they're all a little grossed out and just like, go give like just we just need her contact info. We don't need to know like where and when you guys all came together. But um, (laughs) like, we got to talk to this woman who likes to be passed out. So now Benson is with Sadie and Rollins in the other room. And she asks if they tape all the threesomes. And she says that she likes to watch. And then they say, you do more than watch. And they show her the iPad. And she's like, that's Jenny Abrams. And then Sadie asks Benson if she's ever made love to a woman. And she's taken aback and stares at her. And Sadie says, I know you want to. And someone that gets you, and I mean, she's... She's, she is being hot. She's just like describing like full on lead sex. And she's like, don't you want a woman's tongue on you and a dude to fuck you hard? And they're like, OK, OK, stop. Can you just like <laughs> they're like, do you know your boyfriend has a lawyer? And she goes, well, I don't need a lawyer. Thanks. I do like her. I I mean, she might be a criminal, but I'm on her side. So she says, I have nothing to hide. Um, So the foursome meet outside of the interrogation room and they start a four way walk and talk. And Benson is like. They have an answer for everything. And Greasy's like, yeah, so did Ted Bundy until he didn't. And so they're going to go talk to all the women and everyone from the tapes to get to the bottom of what's going on with these two. So one blonde woman watches the tape and says, yes, that is me to Carisi. And then Jenny says it was consensual. And he asks if she knew that it was being recorded. And it cuts to another woman, a brunette, who's talking to Rollins. And she goes, yes, we watched it all together afterwards. And Rollins says, well, you seemed really out of it. And the brunette's like, you watched me? And then she just goes, cool. Like, <laughs> I re- it's really fun. So now it's Finn's turn to be confused by another woman who is like, I'm a high-powered attorney and my private life is private and you need to mind your own business. And he's like, cool, I just need to know if it's like not consensual. And she said, I had a very enjoyable evening. So back at the precinct, Benson lets the squad know that they have, like they've been ar- arraigned and released on ROR and everyone is down to fuck. So I don't know how this case is going to move forward because it seems like all the other women were down to like pretend to be passed out and get taped. And so nobody said anything bad about them except for Ava. And boom, they are now both on the news giving an interview, getting ahead of the issues. So they're going on the offensive. Um, I just can't imagine this type of thing happening. Um, A doctor going on TV to be like, listen, we fuck our friends. And then Sadie's like, it was all our idea. This is normal. Like, have you, can you, is this ever happened? No, and I don't really think like a show would have that person on, but I guess we're supposed to assume since he's so powerful and he has connections that he just was like, hey, let me go on your morning show and talk about how I like to have threesomes and didn't rape anyone. Like, it is wild, like, to think you'd be on like Good Day New York, (laughs) like talking about Because what lawyer would suggest that, you know? Like, yeah. And then this motherfucker, Heath, the doctor, slips up, but I think on on purpose, Mm -hmm. and he says Ava's name out loud. Um, And then Ava's wildly there to yell at them. (laughs) So she was live (laughs) watching it and teleported right at the moment where her name was said (laughs) on the TV. And she's like, people are calling me. They're vilifying me online and TV. And, you know, that I'm looking for a payoff. I don't want a payoff. I'm done. I'm done. And I don't want to press charges. Also, how does she know she doesn't have a TV? 
How'd you even see it, bitch? Just kidding. She's a victim. We love her. <laughs> she was like at a bar walking by like a TV store or something. And that was happening. Or she was like in the audience of the morning TV show wildly like today and then saw it happening. Dramatic music plays. Carisi knocks on Benson's office and runs in and says, I think I found something on this son of a bitch um, on his computer. Um, and it's going to be a damning video. So another moment for the iPad. And it's an encrypted video, and it's a young girl, like 14 years old, on her knees. And there are medical books behind, like, what's going on. And so they think that the... So there's a girl on her knees, and then this man. And they think that he's this man. You only see, like, his bottom half of his body. And the um, the med books, whatever, they're like, this is him. And they sent the girl's image to... Uh, what is it? Nick Mick? Nick Mick. And Nick Mick, and they matched it to CeCe Taylor, who went missing from Brooklyn 14 years ago. And that is one year before Heath graduated med school, so it could be him. So they're off to Stony Point Medical School in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is two hours outside the city, and home to Snooki. So, um, <laughs> ben, so Benson's like, go, 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 and Carisi runs off. So Finn and Carisi are doing a walk and talk with a professor at the school who was in his class a long time ago, and she called him my little Heath bar. So they obviously like assumed that they were tight since she had like a nickname, but she said that they that she had a boyfriend the whole time. So it's like, then why are you calling him your little Heath bar? I don't understand. What's going on here? What's happening? she was obviously flirting with him, but she had a boyfriend. Yeah, that's just, I don't like the nickname vibe of it. Yeah. But she dated a contractor with dirt under his fingernails, which she liked. Just, yeah, just what every woman wants, like a dirty finger, like, finger in her. <laughs> like, I just, I don't get it. And she said the contractor, like, wistfully, and I didn't know that was, like, a classic sexy job. But, like, I get it. But she was like, oh, and he was a contractor. Like, I've just never heard that in my yeah, life. Yeah, like a guy who can hang my shelves, you know? Yeah. Well, I've heard that. People like someone that can hang shelves. Um, who, was he, on the, who was on the show where they were talking about how he hung my TV in five minutes? Oh, Sheena Shea on Vanderpump. <laughs> she just kept saying he hung my TV in five minutes about her boyfriend. Go on. Oh, my God. She's so sick in the head. Um, whatever. So he did not take rejection well. She explains that he sent her flowers, candy, once she went to his place to study and he had a instead like there was a five course meal ready for her and a super expensive bottle of red wine and the place was near the lake and she lives out there. So she's down to like have them follow her and she's going to show you where Heath was living during medical school. So it cuts back to the MVP of this show, the iPad. <laughs> They're looking at like a frame by frame of the, you know, horrific child blowjob molestation video. And uh oh, there's like an old man looking at it and it's her father. This is devastating. I thought they were going to the lake. I just wish I had a warning that there'd be a grieving father immediately. Yeah, they're um, switching it up on you. Yeah. So Kevin O'Rourke um, is the dad and he's been in five episodes of SVU from 2000 to 2019. That's uh, that's amazing to me. He, um, and then he's been in Veep, Boardwalk Empire, yada, yada. He's working. So he says, oh, my God. And then we see Benson is with him. He basically says that Cecilia went to school one day and never came back home. Um, and in good news, she does get to tell him that it's not on on the Internet. Um, it was just on one man's computer. He asked. He's like, oh, if this is this all over the Internet? And so luckily yeah. it's not. He asks if she's dead and they just don't know. He was like, she was just so good. Like she smoked weed sometimes. But like, 
we didn't raise her like that. And he points to the iPad and it's so sad. His wife died last year, hit by a drunk driver on Nostrand Avenue. And he said that like Cece and Ruth talked about everything and it's just like a very upsetting thing. And she was happy until high school because, she, but then she wasn't in the in crowd in high school and she thought it was because she wasn't pretty and it just like spiraled her into being, you know, I don't know. It just spiraled her. Um, and so Benson then asks if she has ever tried to get a hold of him. And he's like, um, yeah, I would have remembered that. Thank you so much. And, you know, he's like, we've been praying for it our whole lives since she was gone. But seven years ago on her birthday, they had a fake funeral for her to help with some closure. But it didn't really help at all. And um, he's just glad that his wife's dead. So she didn't see what it was on the iPad. And uh, so now we're at a title card that says Home of Tamara Kimball. So we're at Wappingers Falls, New York. It's December 19th, so close to Christmas. Um, there with no snow. They're not even in winter full wear, I don't think. They're they didn't look like winter vibes. Even mm. when Ava was like walking the streets, she was like just in a dress. Oh yeah. But it is December 19th. <laughs> so there's a woman she's feeding chickens Creasy and Finn are like what's up chicken lady help us and they ask him about, they ask about Heath and she says yeah he used to live here her husband and her had just split up because he ran off with the lawyer's assistant and the house had way too many memories. So she decided she'd rather stay at her sister's house in Philly. So she put an ad out and Heath was the first person to answer it. And so she rented it to him. Carisi asked, did anyone ever move in here with him? And she asked like a girl and Finn, <laughs> I love the way Finn says this. He goes, that's exactly what we mean. And uh, she says she doubts it. And Carisi gets a puzzled look on his face and asks why she would say that. And she says that when he came to look at the place that they had a cup of coffee and a long talk and she remembers and that he was like super fixed on this like girl at med school. She was dating a construction guy and she just like remembers he couldn't stop talking about her. So she explained to him that some girls like dudes with calluses on their hands. And that was the end of the story. And yeah, ever, rough hands. <laughs> so then she shows them the basement and holy shit, the iPad photo and the panels in the basement match. He filmed it down there. So Finn asks if she's ever remodeled and he says no. And then Finn starts hitting all the panels and she goes, whoa, I never noticed that before. I guess there are different panels. And Carisi's like, hey, can you actually go upstairs? And she says, sure, smiles and like skedaddles up like nothing scary is about to happen um they rip open the pan at like the panels and a skeleton falls out carisi <laughs> casey looked shocked dun, dun. <laughs> halloween wait what is a uh, spooky call? season well, yeah but what does rosie call her skeleton friend biscuit biscuit we well, just got a new skeleton today that has a um, little succulent coming out of its head and it's doing a yoga pose and she wants to name it lentil soup. It's so cute. When has she had lentil soup? She used to eat lentil soup all the time and then she stopped. It's like one of the only ways I got her like, you know, good grains and protein and vegetables. I miss her. <laughs> um. Anyways, so they rip open the panel. A skeleton falls out just for drama. I'll say it again, but in a casual voice. I don't know. It, 
<laughs> it is dusty. It is kind of wild. And so Creasy says, I guess we know what happened to Cece Taylor. And then this woman comes back down and like she's holding tea. The mugs crack. Everything falls. She starts screaming. And she's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the men seem unaffected by her trauma. Like they didn't warn her. Nothing. They're just like, yep, this is a dead skeleton in your house. What, what about it? Stop yelling. <laughs> Go make more tea. Um, so, like, Carisi doesn't even stop holding the flashlight onto the skeleton to be like, ma'am, are you okay? Now we're back to the elevator. The door's open. Benson, Carisi, and Finn walk off the elevator to fill in their captain. He sprayed lye down there to cover the smell. And obviously a medical student would know that. So then Creasy's like, we got to get him. You know, like we have the video. We have the bones. Bada bing, bada boom. Let's fucking get this guy. And Rollins gets off the phone and says, not so fast. Um, The ME just called and ran the DNA from the bones against the hairs from a hairbrush the father gave them. And it does not match. So they're like, fuck, what do we do now? The idea gets thrown around. Well, maybe we can use the video of CC to get Ava to testify. And Benson gets an idea and walks away and then sways back like and then like you know turns around but like very dramatic and goes maybe it'll convince someone else sadie so now she's in the mirror um sadie is in the interrogation room and she's looking at herself in the mirror she has a really chic ponytail and really nice hoop earrings she says she feels sorry for ava sex shouldn't be a shameful thing and benson's like i'm not actually here to talk about ava and she's like what are other people spreading lies about us what's going on and then the ipad comes back out and she's the uh, the 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 word of this episode, if you want to do a drinking game, is definitely iPad. And <laughs> she plays the video for Cece. And then um, the sexy iPad body double. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, yeah. I wonder if it's one iPad for the whole thing or if they had a lot of iPads lying around. Like, were there stunt iPads? Were there, like, iPads in other places? Or were they, like, cha- like bringing the iPad to the woods, to the house, to the hospital? Like, where? <laughs> like, I just want to know how many iPads it took to film this scene, this episode. Um. So, yeah. So then suddenly it's another iPad moment. They keep doing tricks. Honestly, this episode is frustrating me. I thought it was one of my favorites, and I am, like, fully frustrated how many little trickaroos they do. So then like one iPad goes down and now suddenly we're in, you know, Rollins is showing it to Mark, a.k.a. Heath and the video at the same time in the other room. And he denies it's him and he claims it was a video sent him a long time ago that he forgot about. But you had it encrypted. okay bro. You just like forgot you had a child fucking abuse images on your fucking laptop. And if it's this old, like, why is it on your new laptop? Whatever, whatever. And Rollins is like, hmm, that's weird since it was recorded at the same time and place where you lived during medical school. So the odds are you're fucking lying. And then it like hits him. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How the fuck do you know where I lived during medical school? And she says, I'm glad you asked me that. Your old friend Luis took um, her colleagues there. And the music starts to evoke like, oh, is he getting scared? Like, he's getting scared. He knows he's about to get fucked because like they... They know the house he lived in. So then it shifts to the skeleton picture in the room with Benson and Sadie. And she's like, you think Heath killed someone? And she's like, yes, a teenage runaway he used before he found Cece. And then back to Rollins and Heath where he says, you think I killed Cece too? And she's like, yes, we do. Then back to Sadie where she gets up frustrated and is like, what is it with you people? Do you hate sex or are you just scared of it? And it's like, what does this dead skeleton have to do with it? Or this clear like child getting molested? It's like this girl is fucking zonked out of her head. Yeah. 
So she's just like, we enjoy what's natural, just skeletons falling out of walls. <laughs> um, and she goes, and you get your jollies off by turning it into something sick and criminal. Um, and then sexy Marishka's like, honey, I couldn't care less about what you guys do in the bedroom as long as nobody is getting hurt. That's all I'm concerned about. But somebody else did get hurt. Somebody ended up in the wall of his house. <laughs> she yells, he's a healer, not a killer, while walking away from Olivia. Then says... What the hey? You'll never approve any of it. And then it hits Benson. Oh my God, she says. Oh my God, you're Cece. Dun dun. She says, which she remembers because the father said what the hey, which is a weird sentence. Oh, is that why? That's what strikes her is because the dad oh. goes, the dad goes, well, what the hey or something. And I remember being like, what the hey? And then she says it. And that's when Benson's like, oh, fuck. You just said the same thing. Oh, I didn't catch that. I thought it was because of like, you're not going to prove it. I thought that was the the like zinger. Oh, that's no, so no. It was, the what, it was the what the hey. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so fucking cool. I wonder. OK, so that. So, yeah, because my next note, because I'm like, I wonder if she rethinks saying the sassy line, but it wasn't even that. It was just the saying, damn, Benson is so good. So Benson's like, you're the girl in the video. And she says, that's ridiculous. I look nothing like the girl. And Benson's like, yeah, you're married to Mr. Plastic Surgery. Oh, so he got bored with Cece and he turned you into Sadie and she's getting worked up like shut up and stop. And Benson's like, this fucker stole your whole life from you and it's time to stop protecting him. She said, you've never been in love, have you? And Benson is pissed off and says, but does he love you? And she says, that's a stupid question. I'm everything to him. And Benson quickly responds, then why does he keep inviting other women in the bedroom? And she looks like she's going to cry for a second and looks away to the iPad, the co-lead of this episode. <laughs> she looks at her baby face and then looks at the skeleton and says, her name was Moira. So basically she met Mora at a at a Brooklyn bowling alley. It was raining and Cece didn't have an umbrella. So this woman, Moira, was like, oh, I'll take you home. But instead of taking her home, she took her to Heath's house, um, to this lake house. And so then they're like, so what happened to her? And she said that one day she woke up and she was gone. And he said that she went back to her mom. And she saw him paneling a wall, but he blamed it on a leak. And that's that. And Benson says, you want to know what I think? I think that Moira didn't live up to his fantasy. And so, and she goes, no, he is not a killer. Um, so then it was an accident. Maybe he didn't mean to kill her, but whatever it was, when he was bored with her, he found you. And when he was bored with Cece, he molded you into what he saw as perfection. She says, no, he loves me. And Benson's like, no, he likes the idea of you. Once your beauty fades, then what? And then she's like, that is why he brings other women home, because he is searching for something that can never really exist. Then Mark is giving Rollins a speech. It's like an incel speech, but an incel who gets laid. And he's just like, women are fragile beings that are tortured by the what ifs. What if I didn't have that damn mole or my lips were a little plumper or my tits were firmer? You get it. You know, uh, you know what I'm talking about, detective. And he leans in trying to prey on her insecurities. He's like, I'm sure you've spent sleepless nights wondering what if my body doesn't return turn back to what it once was. And she's like, you know what? Why don't we stop talking about me? I'm done. Um, and he goes, why not? You're a woman. You have fantasies. And I make those fantasies real. I do not kill little girls. And Rollins gives it back to him and is like, you don't care about your patient's fantasies. You only care about yours. But that's the thing about fantasies. They're not flesh and blood. They're never going to be real, which seems kind of tame. But he flips out and he's like, that's it. I'm leaving. And she says, 
no. And then the lawyer's like, he's already been ROR'd. And Rollins pops up from her chair and says, for the rape of Ava. Now he's here for murder and gets in his face and says, sit. It was cool. Back to Benson and Sadie. And she asks her, did you rape Ava Purcell? And um, I know you weren't in control of what you were doing and that you did everything for him. And she says, he needs me. And Benson responds, but you don't need to spend the rest of your life in prison. So tell me what happened so we can work out a deal. She said that, yes, we gave Ava a lot of drugs and it's not like we hurt her. And Benson's like, you did. And... um, (laughs) You uh, you more than anyone should know that. And she cries and says she didn't mean to, but she just likes being beautiful. And then there's a huge shock. Um, and we go into the like the double window into the spy room and Carisi is there with Ava and she's watching all of this. And she's like, damn, she's so sad. And then Carisi says to her, yeah, they're both searching for something that doesn't exist. Ava says she will testify and Carisi says, good, it's the right thing. And Benson comes out to talk to the rest of the team and says that Stone will give Cece a deal if she testifies against Heath. And so then they found two Moira's missing at the time frame. So the work never stops and they have to go figure a bunch of stuff out. But now the dad is here and he goes to see his daughter who's in the cell in the middle of the squad room. And the dad looks confused and then bends and like, this isn't my daughter. Like, what's going on? And Benson gives him a nod and it says like a thousand words. Like, I know it's weird. Shit happens. But yeah, this is your daughter. But like, they should have given him a heads up. She's crying. She's very ashamed. She says, Daddy, I'm sorry. And he hugs her. And he's so happy to hug her. And they both cry and hug. And he says it's okay. as she keeps apologizing. And then her and Benson make eye contact. And you can tell this case, like, really hit Benson. And her eyes are wet. And now it is Dick Wolf. <laughs> Great job, Lisa. Thank you for taking us through that. That whole thing. The end of this, like, episode was kind of confusing me because I was kind of like, when are they going to get him? Like, it didn't really feel like they ever had, like, a gotcha moment with him. They just kind of focused on, like, her reunion moment with the dad. But whatever you guys want to do. But don't go anywhere because there is a real case and it is wild. Okay, we are back. And you maybe have heard about this case. It did happen in Southern California, where I currently live, where Lisa lives. And it is based on the case of Grant Robichaux and his girlfriend, Sarissa Riley. Um, Unlike the episode, Robichaux is not a plastic surgeon. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And um, he is said to have worked, he says he has worked on sponsored athletes. So I guess he's kind of like tries to build himself up as this like hotshot orthopedic surgeon. And on SVU, he was kind of portrayed like a Terry Dubrow, right? Like a reality star plastic surgeon from Botched or something. But in actuality, this guy Robichaux was on one episode of a Bravo show called The Online Dating Rituals of the American Male, which followed like him searching for a girlfriend. And so it sounds like he was basically on one episode of Millionaire Matchmaker in a sense. And all of the articles about him are like, Bravo star doctor. And it's like, he's not a Bravo star. Like, this man is not a Bravo liberty. He was on one episode. But nevertheless, that makes good headlines. Um, And I feel like I've heard of this show, the online rituals of the American male. But it probably didn't last very long because I definitely have watched, like, Millionaire Matchmaker, like, blow out other... I've watched other non-Housewife shit on Bravo and, like, this one... I definitely never watched and that's weird. So um, 
And he was also named separately Orange County's most eligible bachelor by Orange Coast Magazine in 2013. So this guy is handsome. Like I have seen his face. He is good looking. So so he did that show for Bravo in 2014, I believe. By 2018, he has a girlfriend. Her name is Sarissa Riley. At the uh, in 2018, she's 31 and he's 38. And in 2018 is where they were both charged with drugging and sexually assaulting multiple women in Orange County, California, specifically Newport Beach. Uh, the Orange County District Attorney, Tony Rakakis, said that the couple seemed like, quote, clean cut, good looking people, end quote. But they obviously had sinister ulterior motives as they charmed women they met in bars, restaurants and festivals like Burning Man. OK, Burning Man's going on right now. No, um, it's over because all the posts have come on. Oh, it just ended and everybody's yeah, out because with their socials. Now everyone's posting the photos. They act like they're so above us for a week, but then they, they need to share. They can't they stop post sharing. as soon as they get back. Yeah. Yeah. Joel Kim Booster was there. Moshe Kasher was there. Uh, that's all I, that's all the posts yeah, I saw. I, I like Joel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had he a made, that Actually, I'm drinking go. iced tea. He wrote that he, um, his camp gave everyone iced tea. Oh, that's nice. You're supposed to like trade stuff. There was yeah. like a girl that I know that went to Burning Man and I think this is so cool. She like wore, what are those things that hold bullets on your body? Like Rambo? Bullet holders? Sh- yeah. Sure. But instead <laughs> of bullets, it was chapsticks and she would give people chapsticks. <laughs> pretty that's good. That's nice. That's pretty good. That's nice. Um, so, okay, so these, this couple now at 20. I don't like the idea of doctors being at Burning Man, though. Like, it, it upsets me. Like, I, I don't need you on ecstasy in the desert. Like, I need yeah. you in the, I need you at home. Yeah, these people seem like that. I don't know. I don't know. They were on the lookout for people to join them in the bedroom, just like in the episode. Um, they, this was in 2018 when they were finally charged, but this, they came to the attention of authorities in October of 2016 when a neighbor of the doctor called the police having heard a woman scream. The woman said that they had all been drinking at a Newport Beach bar until she was unconscious. I don't know if that means like blacked out or like fully like a limp noodle in their arms. But she says that the couple brought her back to his apartment and began sexually assaulting her with the intent to commit rape. And the police, this is what I read, that the police later stated that they had suspicions, but we did not have positive identity at the time of the reports. I don't know what this means. But October 2016, the woman is at the apartment, calls the cops. I don't know why. Maybe there just like wasn't enough proof that it was non-consensual or whatever. And then in April of 2017, uh, the following year, a woman said she met the couple at a restaurant. They invited her back to, they invited her to a party. They all went to this party. They drank, this woman said she drank a ton and then went back to this couple's place for an after party where they say, she says they drugged, raped, and quote unquote, orally copulated her, um, according to the LA Times. Um, so she contacted authorities the next morning to report the assault. A blood test did show controlled substances in her system. I don't know what happened with her report because again, that's April of 2017. They're not getting charged until 2018. I guess it's just the slow legal system, but again, maybe there wasn't enough evidence to prove it wasn't consensual, but I believe that then the attorney general's office started investigating them around 2017, but, um, they were not formally charged until 2018, so in, on January 9th of 2018, police searched Robichaux's home and found firearms, 
tons of drugs like GHB, MDMA, Coke. They also found video of sex acts with one of the two identified victims. They also found numerous other videos and photos on the pair's phones of other potential victims. So a lot like in the episode, there's all this video of them, you know, either having consensual or sex or assaulting people. Um, Rokakis said, quote, there are a substantial number of videos. I cannot tell you if it's tens or hundreds. It is certainly more than tens. It appears they are highly intoxicated beyond the ability to consent or resist. They are barely responsive to the defendant's sexual advances, end quote. So creepy shit, just like the episode. Yeah, um, but it's so weird. I can't tell you if it's tens or hundreds, but it's more than it's tens. It's more than tens. Like, yeah. <laughs> he you said his us. office. Yeah. And he's like, our office can't release the videos, of course, but everything suggests that the women on these videos are also victims of assault. So in September of 2018, the Newport Beach police turned the investigation over to the Orange County District Attorney's Office. And then they filed charges on September 11th of 2018 and detectives arrested Robichaux and Riley on September 12th. So the search happened in January. Again, not sure what's happening over nine months before they're arrested, but here we are. Then they were both released on $100,000 bail. And the California Medical Board did open an investigation into Robichaux's conduct. The case gained international attention because, um, for many reasons, okay? One of the reasons was Rokakis, uh, the district attorney implied that there were up to a thousand victims. And later he said he'd been misunderstood and that that's not what he meant to suggest that there were a thousand victims, but um, they were instead reviewing up to a thousand videos of possible victims. So that got into the press and everyone was like a thousand victims. Um, Robichaux was eventually charged with 16 felonies, including sexually assaulting seven women. And Riley was charged with sexually assaulting five women. Uh, Robichaux also was accused of possessing uh, two illegal assault rifles, four other firearms, and several large capacity magazines. So on top of it all, this guy's a gun nut. This story has Orange County tattooed all over (laughs) it. Um, So the case was super drama from the jump, not just because of the scandalous nature of the crime, but it was also very highly politicized in Orange County because Rokakis is the district attorney and he's an elected position. So right after these people are arrested, this man, not arre- not right after, but in February of 2020, so about a year later, um, Sp- Todd Spitzer beats Rokakis in the election for district attorney. So I think I may have said attorney general, but I meant district attorney. So now Todd Spitzer is replacing Rokakis. And he had said throughout his entire campaign, I'm going to drop the Robichaux charges if I get elected. Like Why? I think, Ro- I think Rokakis is overreaching. I don't think the search was legal. I don't think there's enough proof here. Like very Orange County, very like, sounds like a bunch of drunk women having a good time and then regretting it to me, you know, like very that I feel like is what this guy's vibe is. There's also full articles that I did not have a chance to read about how this guy Todd Spitzer is fucked and he's like very corrupt and letting Orange County go to shit, whatever. We, you can read those on your own time because I couldn't get into that, but he's not a good person. So yeah, the case is very dramatically played out in the press. Spitzer becomes the district attorney and requests to drop the charges, which was denied in 2020 by Orange County Superior Judge Gregory Jones. Instead, Jones decides to remove the district attorney's office from the case and order it be turned over to California Attorney General's office, which is good a good move. And he, cite, he cited, like, there's so much politics interjected into this case. It was a tense election between Spitzer and Rokakis. And also, 
there was a district attorney's office investigator named Jennifer Kearns who started investigating the case after like those two original uh, calls went to the police about this couple that was allegedly maybe drugging and sexually assaulting people all over Orange County. And uh, Jennifer Kearns was removed from the case and she has since filed a whistleblower lawsuit against the county saying that she was being retaliated against because she alleges that Spitzer, the new district attorney, had a relationship, like a personal relationship, a friendship with one of Robichaux and Riley's attorneys. And that's why he was like, I'm going to drop this shit. Like, it's all connections. It's all money and who knows people. And he was like, as soon as I get elected, this case is dropped. Don't even worry about it's it. It's just so fucked because it's like, no, there are crimes and victims. It's not just about your political career, you psycho. Yeah. Like, I just can't even believe this. I mean, yeah. I can yeah, it's psychotic. And Orange County, they're just a bunch of rich hillbillies. They're trash. It's like yeah. money can't buy you class. Orange <laughs> County is that. So true. So true. But Jennifer Kern said in her lawsuit that Spitzer colluded with one of Robichaux and Riley's defense attorneys while, quote, engaging in a concerted political campaign to undermine the prosecution, discredit the victims, and ultimately destroy the criminal case, end quote, against the couple. Um, and so her lawsuit had a lot in there about that. And uh, also the relationship that's that uh, Spitzer allegedly had with one of the uh, attorneys for the couples. So I think also there was a point where he released one of much like like how this doctor released uh, the name of Ava in the episode. I think there was like one of the victims names got out because Spitzer released a sealed pre like a sealed document that had this victim's name in it. And claims that, oh, I got it before it was sealed and blah, blah, blah. So he thought he had the right to do that. But I think he ended up outing one of the victims. And then there's so many twists in this case. In July of 2021, Orange County Superior Court Judge Stephen D. Bromberg dismisses charges relating to the allegations lodged by two of the seven women after they told prosecutors they had been, quote, dragged through the mud and that they didn't want to participate anymore. So two of the victims at this point are like, fuck this. Like, this is too crazy for me. Like, I'm getting, my life is getting ransacked. I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. Then in a surprise decision, that same judge, Stephen Bromberg, recuses, recuses himself and gets off of the case. Now, the defense... Um, had filed a motion. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not the defense. I think the prosecution filed a motion saying that there had been, quote unquote, sharp exchanges between the judge and the prosecutors. And so he, they filed a motion to have the judge removed, but then the judge just recused himself and did not say a reason why. He did not say, I'm doing this because of the motion. I'm not doing this because of anything. He just recused himself. Sketchy. The case was then presided over by Orange County Superior Court Judge Frank Ospino. Eventually, under Ospino, charges are reduced, and now they are only being charged with assault on two of the women, and all the rape charges have been dismissed. An amended complaint charges them with kidnapping to commit a sexual offense, two counts of assault with intent to commit a sexual offense, and other charges about, like, administering and possess possessing drugs, but... And then, and then Robichaux also had weapons charges about the guns they found, but not, the rape charges are dropped. So it's like, it's so fucked up because we've talked about this before, how if you have enough money, you just keep going and keep going with appeals, appeals, like everything. And eventually just, you're just, you watch this case, like just everything just gets dropped. And um, so then during a hearing... Um, I also was reading that during a hearing in August of 2021, a woman who alleges that Robichaux raped her in 2009 pleaded with the judge not to dismiss the charges relating to her assault. 
And she said, this case is a complete travesty. I've already begged a judge not to dismiss my case. And here I am again. So I that that one may have been out of statute of limitations. I'm not sure because that was about uh, uh, nine years after. But the by the time it was in court, it's like 11 years after her assault. So I don't really know what happened with that one. But then in February of this year, 2022, Judge Franco Spino died of cancer. And then in, so a judge named uh, Orange County Superior Court Judge Jonathan Fish took over. And he said, um, at this point, Robichaud and Riley are 41 and 35, respectively. And this judge says, I'll be issuing a ruling soon. In April, a motion to quash the warrant used to search Robichaud's home was denied. Thank God something finally is like just is happening in this case. And uh, Judge Fish said, quote, a woman or any participant can limit or withdraw his or her consent at any time. And he also noted that a victim can be, quote, so intoxicated to the point where she cannot resist, where she cannot consent or where she cannot draw, withdraw prior consent. There is no such thing as advanced consent, end quote. So kind of nice. We found a good judge at some point. But I honestly, that was the last I read of that was this motion was squashed in in April of this year, I cannot find anything about the case since. So I'm assuming it's like COVID-related delays. I know that there are lawyers that listen to our podcast that know how to look up cases. I, I honestly tried to do it. I was like, I'll just go to like the California.gov and like try to look it up. I could not figure it out. There's like logins. I, I could not look up the case to see where it stands right now. Um, but I'm sure some of our little legal babies will do that for us. But I think now they're just waiting to stand trial for their crimes against these two victims, even though there were 13 originally total victims and there were seven in the court case. We're now down to two rape charges have been dropped, but hopefully they'll get busted on some of these kidnapping and other charges. Um, and they will honestly probably just keep spending money until they're free. And I don't it, it sucks, but it's a very crazy case that got very highly politicized because of this district attorney race and. I think well, that, I'm also wondering if they continue doing this or if they like and they're out on bail. While. I wonder if they're still dating because recent articles still call them boyfriend and girlfriend. So I don't really know. But well, and that yeah. was kind of well with the epi in terms of the episode, they probably didn't get married because of the names and like then they would find CC. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like who knows what kind of ID Sadie had or anything like that. Yeah. Like if she ever had a legal name change or whatever. It's, um, yeah, it's wild. This was, I remember this being one that people were talking about because I was living here. I had just like moved to LA when, uh, well, not just, but I'd been here like a year or so when this case started coming out. So it pisses me off that they're out and that this Spitzer guy was just like, ah, oh, who gives a shit? They're my friends. We'll drop I it. Know. And it's like, excuse me. I know. I know. And it just like all this, like it's on video. There's a lot of video of it. Like, it's just wild that, they still can figure out. I mean, it sounds like a lot of shady shit was going on, like getting this investigator taken off of the case. And she says she's being retaliated against. Like it's, they're doing, all, they're throwing up a lot of roadblocks to pretend to protect this like hand surgeon. Like it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But, you know, that's that. But we have an amazing guest that's going to make you forget all about the injustice in Orange County. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> Thank you.
Oh my gosh, you guys! Today's guest, one of our one of our must haves from the beginning on our list. If you don't recognize his face, you've been living under a rock for the past twenty years. He is an actor from such shows as Royal Pains, Sex in the City, The West Wing, Nine JKL, Good Morning Miami, and a personal other favorite, Wet Hot American Summer. Ten years later, plus so much more. And you guys know him from today's episode as the sinister Doctor Heath Barron, guys. Pleased to enjoy our amazing chat with Mark Feuerstein. You are in some of my favorite movies. We've really wanted this for a while. And we just talked to Brooke Smith from In Her Shoes. Oh, I love her. She's a doll. And you're you're kind of like this dream man in that movie. Do you feel that? We're talking about In Her Shoes right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to jump in right plastic. into In Her Shoes, <laughs> even though this is an SVU podcast. That's, That's kind fine. of the way. Um, just know that I did do my homework and watch that episode of oh, SVU. Oh, we're going to so scary. But that's why it's so different because you're, and in um, Practical Magic, you're kind of like, I'm the nice guy husband. And then all of a sudden here, you're like evil from the jump. And by the way, there's a secret Easter egg that's so good and big for the episode that I, I don't know if you know it. I'm looking at your faces and there's a secret connection in there that you may or may not be aware of that is what, just- Hot American Summer? No, that's, no. Okay. No, between me and another character, an Easter egg of my past that makes okay, it wait. incredibly all the more creepy and wonderful. Okay, great. Not telling you, we'll get there. Yeah. No, tell her. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, you're gonna wait, ladies. Um, but so just to do in her shoes, loved Brooke Smith. I think actually, I remember hearing that she was very, I think she told me she was very close to playing the Tony Collette role. Yes, she, she told, told us that. that. She was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> she even told us that a couple times doing the scenes with Tony Collette, she kept calling Tony Collette the wrong character name because it was that she was that's like, Tony so Collette was funny. like, no, I'm this character. You're this character. Oh my God. That's amazing. I mean, she's such a talented actress. You know what I love her so much from is, uh, is Vanya on 42nd street. Do you that's remember what Lisa that? said? Yeah. Oh. They wa we watched it in high school theater class. And that was like my, my intro to her. And I she said it was her favorite make project. Something like that. I think that was such a cool idea to just, they go into a theater, who knows where, they're rehearsing the play, but you're seeing them out of rehearsal. I just think it was such a cool thing that Wally Shawn did, who I got to work with recently on The Good Fight, which is akin, akin to SVU yes. in its and procedurality. And he is an SVU alum as well. I think he did an episode in the same season as you, actually. <gasps> I believe it was the season 20, oh and 21. You both played yourselves in BoJack Horseman. Who's better than you? That is an unbelievable, <laughs> that is an unbelievable connection. Okay, yeah. wait. Let, so let's get into the SVU of organized. it all, I feel like. We're, we're like, we're all over the, normally we start with SVU and then we go to people's like other work and we, we're all over the place with you because we have too much in common and, and too many things to talk about. So. I'll go any which way. This episode, Plastic, season 20. Well, should I ask my question? Were you kind of pissed you had to wait this long? You're like the king of the USA Network. Were you like, where's my SVU offer? No, I feel like <laughs> season 20 is the golden spot. Like, you don't want to be in That's 18. You don't want to be in 19. You want to be in 20. <laughs> episode right. 11, because I kissed the clock at 11.11. It's good luck. 
2011. It's it's great. Oh my god! For, for all reasons, it's wonderful. <laughs> what like what drew you into the part? Were you just like, I did you know SVU? Did you like like this character? Want to play something evil? What was your? Um, I mean, I I think it's always fun to play a bad guy. There's. Um, I, I have had a couple of opportunities to like turn my nice guy persona into something dark and sinister. And I think sometimes, you know, the bad guy in a Bond movie can be the most fascinating. Uh, and I uh, I played a part in a show called Prison Break, where I was also like supposedly this is actually going to go in a, in a roundabout direction. But I uh, I played. Michael Schofield had been killed supposedly in prison break and I was the new husband to Sarah Wayne Callies and I seemed like a really good guy and then I turned out to be like the most evil guy ever who took her husband and put him away and then of course he comes back, finds her, kills me and and takes her (laughs) back. Uh, But there's something very fun about turning what seems menschy on its head and being a real bastard. And so I saw an opportunity there on this show to do that. Also an opportunity to go to New York. I knew they had some great actors lined up. I had never done SVU. Um, It's always a good idea maybe to make someone like Dick Wolf aware of yourself because (laughs) he does lots of stuff, as you may know. Uh, But the other thing I was going to share is that there was a moment, another moment where I was meant to play the sweet guy and that was turned on its head a little bit uh, for a show called Coyote, which not a lot of people know about because it was canceled pretty early on in its run on Paramount+. Plus. But Michelle McLaren, who directed a lot of games of Game of Thrones, is called me and she's like, Mark, you're... We're going to think you're a lead. We're going to think you're a regular on this show. So it's going to be so cool when we blow your head off in episode two. <laughs> it's going to be such a shock. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll go on that ride. Cool. But then I took it. So yeah. what am I? Yeah, took it. <laughs> and, and actually, the, the stage direction ha- describes me as peeing my pants as I beg for my life and get shot in the head. So I look for roles that have a lot of high status, a lot of cool coolness. No. Anyway, I just thought it was a really interesting episode. And, uh, you know, this all happens pretty quickly. You and your manager and your agent kind of vet the offer, vet the the significance of the role in that episode, which was pretty significant. And you know, it's got enough darkness and intrigue that it was worth doing. And I was grateful. I'm always grateful to work because there's always something that comes of it. I learn something every time. And, you know, I could have said no, maybe a lot more in my career, but that's just not who I am. I love to work. And you're from, you're born and raised in New York City. So that must be kind of cool. So it's a free trip to see my brother and my parents and go do the New York thing for a week. Now, how was it filming those really kind of creepy passed out sex scenes? Yeah. Did they make you do like a thousand of them? There was so much footage of you with different people. I know. And you understand this was right after the Me Too (laughs) stuff is happening. 
And at the beginning of the intimacy coordinator- I was just going to say, it was probably pre-intimacy coordinator, right? It was just pre-intimacy coordinator, but just post Me Too. So a real tricky window, (laughs) real tricky window, right? And so you can imagine as a menchie and responsible and fearful Jew that I am, the second I'm in bed with these 18 to 25-year-old actresses, I am describing exactly what I'm going to do on any take. There is not any license I'm giving myself to do anything but what I say I'm going to do, which is the way it should be. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's all a question of, of chemistry and rapport, but there should be no more license than that woman allows for. Right. In my mind. And that was true, like on the set with Natalie Portman, we had an intimacy coordinator. It's all full blown now. We're talking to her about what we're going to allow and not allow. And of course, I'm like, whatever Natalie wants, we get to set. The intimacy coordinator actually faded back on that show. And Natalie was very game. She actually suggested slightly more edgy, erotic uh, (laughs) actions than I would have even thought of. So I was like, very impressed with her and how, you know, body and free and willing she was to go there. But with these actresses where it was so quick and we were shooting uh, in a bed and they were like popping in and we'd shoot one of them. Then another set of actresses would come in and shoot another. I was like, okay, I'm going to put my finger on your shoulder. Then I'm going to maybe my lips will graze your cheek. Pull away. I could go lips. I don't have to go lips. You know what I mean? You have to be just so careful. Yeah. And and I'm still, by the way, just going to tease the Easter egg that you are not aware of. But God damn it. You happened upon something so good. So good. I know. When I'm do like you doing want a you catalog want in my mind. I know. I'm like, more? did you like, did you have to do a sex scene with like your like child from Royal Pains? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You are in the area, my I'm dear. I'm in the ballpark. Okay. You're very in the ballpark. <laughs> you are nailing the ballpark. So now it has to come out because you got you did so good <laughs> on the subtle Easter egg quiz. You ready? Yes. yes. Willa Fitzgerald, who is the uh Victim, the victim, yeah, the lead victim in this case, yes. in this episode, was my sister on Royal Pains. Oh my wow. gosh, that's wild! Well, that must have been fun. My long lost sister, who our father, played by Henry Winkler, had never revealed to us, who pops in season four or five, and she's fabulous and like an amazing actress and a lovely person and so smart graduate of Yale Drama School, went there with Lupita Nyong'o, who was supposed to be in the Natalie Portman thing I did, but because of Wakanda, dropped out, (laughs) giving the role to Moses, who was the best friend on The Queen's Gambit. But that's a side story. (laughs) That's just name dropping for no reason. (laughs) Not in in any way evoking any stories, just dropping names. But (laughs) the point is, Willa Fitzgerald was... uh, was my sister on Royal Pains and loved her. And we had this familial connection. And then by the gods of our business, I'm in a bed with her, having my way with an unconscious Willa Fitzgerald. (laughs) With your sister. With my sister. Gosh, that is... 
That must have been fun to like come to set with a friend. Oh, it was so great to see her. It was so great to work with her, but also a little awkward because, you know, I I tend to offer myself as a friend, mentor, uh, spirit animal to, you know, the younger generation. So that's what I was to her on Royal Pains, a friend and talking about the business. And she was so young and new to it all. So it's a little weird when you then climb into bed and you're like, okay, now you're passed out and I'm licking your face. Uh, Yeah. But But it was fine and it was great (laughs) to see her and and we had a blast. Did you get along well with the woman that played your uh, girlfriend slash project? (laughs) Yes, she was so lovely. Alyssa Sutherland. Yeah. And I haven't seen her since we made that episode. But I do remember all of us going... I don't even remember what this documentary was about. Uh, It might have been some effort, some charity of Mariska Hargitay's. She made a documentary and we all went one night to watch it together. Oh, Uh, I bet you. and Alyssa and some of the other cast. Yeah, Mariska was part of a documentary about ending the rape kit backlog. Okay. And maybe it was that. Okay, maybe it was that. Yeah. Well, it was happening while we were filming. So we all got to go to the premiere and it was very cool to be part of that. And um, yeah, and also while we were filming in the penthouse, this is totally on another subject of the opposite end of totally superficial as opposed to her documentary. Uh, and she was buying like a $40 million apartment in New York at the time. So you were, so I was like, it's okay that you're giving me direction. I, I get it. I get it. Wow, I love that real estate scoop we just got. Yeah. Thank it, you. I, it could have been 20 million. It could have been 40 million. That's my memory. Both right there. seem in the realm of possibility. Our newest rumor we heard about her is that she's been she's moved to Long Island and has been helicoptering in every day to work. That's like oh, the new really? scoop we heard. That's yeah. we don't know. But yeah, she we moved heard to that, like the Hamptons. Well, like during the pandemic, she went to her Hamptons house and now she kind of is like there and just like comes helicoptering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And do you think. Uh, what's his name? I was on Wet Hot American Summer with him. He was so yes, funny in that. Christopher Maloney. Chris Maloney. What do we think? Because I actually got to talk to Mariska about his departure from the show. Oh, yeah? So uh, if you'd like a little of that, I'm oh, happy to yes, share. please. I imagine a podcast like this might enjoy <laughs> some of that scuttlebutt. Yes, we want it. <laughs> I imagine. Um she talked about when it was, what season was it he left? He left after wow. season 12. After season 12. Yeah, it was all like ego. It was all negotiations. Yeah. And them not coming to the table with as much as he had expected. But he is someone apparently, you know, Mariska loves him and felt like he's someone who really is all about the work completely, but just also wanted to be compensated in the right way. And, you know, you can't help but hear about that fallout and think, hey, butts, she's flying in from the Hamptons. You're driving up in your uh, Chevy Impala. Uh, Maybe we should have just taken it on the chin a little for the 12 year thing is kind of I don't know what happens because they just um, uh, we don't know everything. But the rumor is that. Kelly Giddish just got fired after 12 years because they didn't want to give her more money. And so I don't get what's happened. Like to have two characters, 12 years. That is Then crazy. get kicked out. Like I wonder what pay bump happens at 12 years that NBC doesn't want to do or like. By the way, we started this 
with a weird superstition thing about season 20 and episode 11. Yeah. And then tw- episode 12. Are we like yeah. zeroing in the on some kind of game? I'm a number yeah. girl. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Way. Let's keep it. But I just let's wonder. Let's keep it together. Because also I bet the vibe Maloney had was like, oh, SV is not going to survive without me. They're obsessed with me. And then, you know, it, it did. It definitely did. Some it people did. say they stopped watching after Maloney, but then, I mean, the show's still on. They're about to start season 24. But now he's got this spinoff that I really like. So maybe everything happens for the best. Like, I don't know. I mean, for the reason. I thought he was maybe leaving to go try more comedy because he's so funny and wet hot. He's so, uh, he did this show called Happy on Sci-Fi that was like a funny show. It was funny in Harold and Kumar. Yeah, he's funny. The more we talk to people, we do hear about this contract negotiation thing. And that's kind of like what it was. So, you know. He was so funny in Wet Hot. Oh my God. Yeah. As as Gene, the Vietnam vet cook. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it it had the combination of feeling like such a real character who could have existed from like Asbury Park, New Jersey, (laughs) who went to Vietnam, now wears a bandana and cooks. But did he also have sex with a can? Yeah. He was in (laughs) love with the can. (laughs) Yeah. David Wayne is a friend and like, and Michael Showalter is also a friend. I love them both so much. They're geniuses. I love the I love They're the amazing. state. I love Stella. I love well, all the things. And they you do. were a really bad guy in the ten years later, but the wig was so funny that it kind oh. of like um, <laughs> that you're not as mad or something. I loved that curly, weird Lyle Lovett type wig that I got to wear for a moment, and I love that I was digitally inserted into the movie itself as if I had always been there. When they first see me in in Wet Hot, there's this moment of like, oh yeah, that's Mark. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and they show and they show me like in the car driving up with the whole gang, and it and it, I had never been in it. It was just a flashback that I was inserted into, <laughs> and that's just another example of David Wayne and Michael Showalter's wacky, brilliant yeah. sense of humor. They are so funny and. Yeah, Maloney has an iconic character in that movie. And we talked to Diane Neal, who said that she was obsessed with Wet Hot and she used to just leave a can in his dressing room all the time. Oh, my God. And he was like, who the fuck keeps leaving cans? And he then, That's you know, amazing. Well, she admitted it. And then he goes, well, how old are you? And she goes, I'm 25. And he went, fine. And then wasn't that <laughs> anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. So it was good. How were your interrogation scenes with Mariska? Um... I was mentioning that when we did one at the penthouse and we were talking about her $20 million purchase or $40 million purchase of an apartment in New York, and it brought new meaning to the da-dung <laughs> because I actually only heard cha-ching. <laughs> and actually, I think I did, an, I did another Law & Order on the original yeah. uh, Mothership Law mm-hmm. & Order. With Jesse L. Martin, yeah, L. Martin, and he is so funny. Before every take, he goes dun dun, and then you, <laughs> and then you roll, and then when it's done dun dun. He's so great, and he does it a little more accurately than I do. <laughs> but uh, we did do an interrogation scene up in that beautiful penthouse, and you know it's a funny thing. I think Mariska is like the nicest person. And she's so good. And it's kind of amazing how much she cares, which is why I think she gets helicoptered in and out to do the show still. (laughs) 
because I'm sure that's not what the budget was desiring for the show. But it's because she just truly cares so much, which leads her as someone. I am an actor who got to be a director on Royal Pains. I got to direct five episodes and I loved it. And that happens when you get to, like, be a lead in a show and you get, you know, two seasons in and you start thinking, how can I use this to broaden my horizons? And I had always wanted to be able to tell a story visually. So I got that privilege on Royal Pains. She did, too. I think she probably directs one or two every season. Yeah. And um, and she started directing me. And I had that little moment of like. On the one hand, the ego bump of you're being directed by your scene partner and two, you're not the star of your show anymore. You're on somebody else's show and you got to just take it. And on the other hand, she gave great notes and it was actually very useful. So, you know, it was like a mixed bag. Yeah. She's very smart and very helpful. How was it like, you know, on Royal Pains, everyone knows you in this one role. Is it weird to transition or does everyone just respect you right away? Or how does it kind of work? Well, the... The great thank you for that question. And and uh, I like to think I was respected on the set of Royal Pains. And I like to think <laughs> that that happened. translates to other sets. But the beautiful thing about shooting in New York is the New York crews that film are there's so much overlap. So I'm running every time I shoot a show in New York, whether it was The Good Fight or SVU uh, or Nurse Jackie or on Power and the subsequent uh, spinoff Ghost, which I've also been on, I run into these guys, these fucking guys and girls who are in the crews of the grip department or the camera department or the Teamster department, and it's heaven. And it makes it like old home week every time I go back to New York to shoot. And it's this, it's the part of our business that is the most special because... We just we just show up for jobs. We make some relationships. Some of those friendships make it offset. Very few, but some do. But those relationships, which they're always on sets and it's always easy to see them and you don't have to feel guilty. You didn't call or anything because no one expected you to. But when you're on that set, seeing, you know, Joe Collins or... Uh, a, a grip named Julian or Tommy or Johnny San Pietro, who I got to drive with to set for eight years um, or Blake or these guys who you just, you, you know, when you think of them, you get happy because uh, they're just so in it when you're filming and in it with you, like you're in battle. And I guess it's the closest thing you could feel in our generation to, being in battle together, being in, in an army together uh, or on a great sports team or something. And so that's the joy for me. In addition to being reunited with Willa Fitzgerald, in addition to, uh, you know, getting I, I recently with The Good Fight, I was reunited with an, a director named uh, Nelson, who directed me on Prison Break. It's just so nice when you get to be reunited. Like Matt, uh, shoot. Um, his father was a great director, Arthur, and his son is Matt. And I forgot his last name, but I ran into him at a play. It's just, uh, it's the kind of relationship that's so unique to our business, but so special. And did you meet your wife on the job? No, we were uh, dating 
Uh, I was doing Good Morning Miami. She was doing which is how I first, which is how I first ever watched you. Oh really? I watch Good Morning Miami like all the time. Oh my god, Uh, love it, love it. Had a good time on that show. I still was biking last week with David Cohan, who uh, was one of the two creators of that show and uh, a slightly lesser known show called Will and Grace. Yeah, I was gonna say. (laughs) Um, And. Uh, Dana was on a slightly lesser known show too called Friends. She was a writer on Friends while I was on Good Morning Miami. Wow, okay. And the distillation of which show was more successful could be best encapsulated by a moment that happened at the final taping of Friends, which I was at, which was so cool. All the writers are the people in the plane when Rachel is supposedly going to fly to Paris. Those are all the writers of the show and Dana was one of them, my wife. Uh, And while we were walking around the set, you know, Good Morning Miami was totally on the bubble, like about to be canceled. And Friends was in its 10th year at the end of 10 glorious seasons. And the head of the network at the time was Jeff Zucker. And he's walking around the set and he sees me. And as we're walking by each other, I say, hi, Jeff. He goes, hey, we'll do one of these for your 10th. At the end of your 10th season. <laughs> and, and then I'm they like, canceled cool, it? Cool. They canceled it a week later. <laughs> I mean, a, a week later. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Good Classic to see you, buddy. Zuck. Classic Zuck. <laughs> Classic Zucks. That's so cool about your wife, though. You guys are like a little power couple. I love that. You guys are a dream Hollywood situation, don't you That's feel? very sweet. Uh, I don't know if she would agree with you, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> So wait, tell us about this. What is this thing that you just worked on with Natalie Portman? Can you talk about it already? Of course. Is it- I, are you kidding? I, can I talk about it? It's, I mean, it's all I got. It's all <laughs> I got to talk about. It's called Lady in the Lake. It's written uh, based on a book by Laura Lipman, who is a very talented writer. Uh, I. It's loosely based on an actual event where a Jewish family lost uh, their daughter to uh, a, a guy who was mentally unstable and worked in a pet store and was she was eventually uh, abused and killed. And it's it's all spun out around that real event. But it, it's historical fiction because it's, she's she's dives deep into the Jewish and the black community of Baltimore in the early 60s. Oh, wow. And it's incredibly well done and well written. Laura Lippman, by the way, just an interesting fact, is the wife of David Simon, who created The Wire. So they're oh, like this wow. power Baltimore couple yeah. who really, you know, have put Baltimore on the map in such a fascinating way. But it's being directed by Alma Harrell, who's this female Israeli director. Who oh, my God, that's Hun- Byron Bauer's uh, girlfriend. No, yes. really? Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. So she's directing this show. She's directing all of it and wow. wrote all of it. Whoa, cool. She cre- she took that book and crafted this magical, mystical six-episode Apple series based on it called Lady in the Lake. And I mean, she's just incredibly impressive. That's so cool. She's such a like badass, visionary director. And I think in her hands, it's going to be amazing. And Natalie awesome. Portman is unreal. Unreal. I mean, I remember that we had this scene where my character is saying something that is very upsetting to her. I don't want to give things away, but she's sad 
and I'm there on set, just kind of, she told me to just go, just improv how I'm letting her down in this way. And as I keep talking to her, I'm just wondering, I'm not looking because I don't want to make eye contact with her because I'm supposed to be the guy on the phone, but I'm right by the camera spewing and improving. And then I just look up and I see like a face of tears as Natalie Portman just takes the phone on which I'm supposed to be talking and just holds it out and like lets it all go. And she's just so vulnerable and so wow. rent with emotion. I'm both torn with my worship of her talent and my jealousy. It's, you know, <laughs> a natural actor reaction. Wow. Yeah. That's oh my cool. gosh, this was fun. Mark, this Thank was you. so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. So I feel like me. we could talk to you for another four hours, but we got to like let everybody get on with their lives. Hopefully we'll see you at some Jew Hollywood event. Please, please yeah. stay in touch. See you around town. Okay. For sure. And I, this was a total delight for me. Thank you Thank so you. much for talking to us. That was fucking fun. I love talking to him. That was like one of the easiest conversations. I felt like we were talking to an old pal. Yeah, that was really fun. And it seems like he's just like jazzed on his life and likes to work and his family and is just like living it up. Anyway, this episode today, Plastic, what did we learn? I mean, you know, I think we learned from the real life crime that truly court cases will just go away if you just have money and connections and you just keep throwing money at them. Like these people are now facing barely any charges after what was like originally a huge like operation that they were doing of their crimes. And now it's kind of like maybe they'll get kidnapping and like possession of Coke or something like it's pissing me off. But, you know, it is. Also we knew with that. Mark, I do want to say it's just wild to be a fan of someone for so long and then they're just on your podcast. Yeah. It's and they're cool. they're nice and normal. I think everyone we've been a big fan of that has come on, we've been like, well, they are cool. They seem like somebody you could just have a glass of wine with at a bar and be like, let's chat, you know? I never want wine. It's I like, know, well, I'll me. have it once in a while. A vodka soda, a vodka soda. Yeah, once in a while I'll have a wine, maybe once every four months, but it's like, it doesn't do it for me. It's truly like all I want to drink most of the time. I want to drink red wine when it's cold and I want to drink white or rosé when it's hot and that's it. But I do like beer and I will drink vodka. If it's like a good vodka cocktail, I will for sure. Yeah. But wine is my go-to. I'm a wine girl. What can I say? Back to the episode because they do tell us that we're going too long in these episodes. <laughs> we uh, are. Fuck. I, but then our listeners a, want it. They want it. Yeah. I think it's a great episode. It says a lot about. It's very the, sexual. It says a lot a about the allure episode. of beauty. This woman gave up her entire fucking family just to be beautiful. Like, you know, but he also he was brainwashing her, too. But like, you know, every time she probably had a new surgery, she was like, oh, my God, like, how could I give this up? I look so gorge for sure. Because, you know, they said I remember now the dad was like, oh, she started having problems in high school. But that's like when she met him. So I wonder if he was like the cause of all her problems, not just this antidote or she met him at the right time for him. Like she yeah. like, I'm sure he preys on girls that are going through uh, like that hard, awkward, you know, high school phase tells them that they're beautiful. Cause no one's telling them that at school, you know? Yeah. Fucking creeps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also don't serve blue carousel <laughs> in your home. Yeah. Blue mules. That's a no from blue us dogs because people will then puke blue. It's like, it's just not good. 
Did we ever find out in this episode, by the way, why he killed the other girl? He just wanted her out of the way? Why didn't he just say, get out of here? He didn't kill anyone. He killed the guy. He killed the construction worker. No, that's not who it was. The dead body was the construction worker guy. Oh, it was no. Moira. It was, it was Moira. Yeah, it was oh, wait, the other girl. It was you know Moira. what? That's exactly what I thought when the skeleton came out. I go, he killed his, 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 his like the girl he wanted. He killed her boyfriend. That's what I thought. But then they they checked that it was definitely a teenage girl's skeleton. And then it wasn't the little girl that it wasn't our girl. It was Moira. So why did he kill Moira? Because he was done with her. Like, well, like, because then he could like, go to jail. I mean, if Moira said this old man's been fucking me, he would go yeah. to jail. You kind of I think it was more of an evidence thing, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But that he could sense. also be a killer. I mean, who knows who else he's killed or if he would kill Cece if she, like, had, didn't do what he wanted. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe she, like, spoke up and was, like, trying to be, like, you know, asserting her own power. Anyway, let's move on. This week's... Wait, uh, wait, before we move on... Yeah. Um, It's wild that the Dan Schneider and all that has been popping off, and we talked about that months ago. It after has? Jeanette, well, after Jeanette McCurdy's book, you know? I knew when that book came out, things were going to pop off. Does she name him? No, she calls him the creator. And I guess once she calls him Dan. But everyone knows, and I've seen his face and stuff. But And the feet stuff's coming out and old videos of Ariana Grande, like, sucking on her toes and stuff. And it's like, I, I, I'm just... I'm just confused how why he's been able... You know why Elsa came out? Because we never talked about Tiffany Haddish and fucking Ari Spears. But is what what was that? What do you mean? Like what what the, is I I saw like I googled it and then I got distracted. They got oh, they're being accused so, of like Well, there's there's a video. So it's like uh -oh. there's no accusations or not. The video exists. What's the video? So I actually sadly watched it, which is pretty fucked. Um and it was cuz I watched it blurred and that was good and then someone did show me and it's like it's a, it's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. But I was just talking about how, like, it's so strange who we decide to punish or reach, speak out about and those who don't. Because in my head, I'm like, it's this sketch. It's, it is weird. I'll get into more details about it. But, like, Tiffany is this black woman and and Ar whatever. Ari's kind of sucks. But, like, that's a thing. But, like, Dan Schneider was able to work for ever. All these he people. made them so much money. He was, but, like, a huge hitmaker. But he's hit that maker. good? Zoe one of course not. Like, no, it's terrible. But like that's why they tried to like sweep it all up when he left. It's just so fucked. It's and so then he weird. waited a long time, and then he started this like soft launch PR campaign of how he was going to come back, which is what I talked about in the episode. And then we were waiting on that kind of when pandemic hit, and then her book came out, and so maybe it's like all maybe he's going to retreat again, but who knows. And he just looks so much different than I thought. Okay, the Tiffany... So I read the article. And basically, it was like her good friend, like best friend vibes. And this best friend had two kids and they were all tight. It was like Aunt Tiff, you know? Like, this is the Daily Beast article. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to get sued for libel. So um, I guess that's our whole podcast, <laughs> LOL. But it's just so... She hired Prince Andrew's attorney. Like, 
that's not great. So basically she told the friend, like, can I use these kids? And the whole, the article is saying that she groomed these kids and kind of like built trust and then asked them to do this sketch and lied to the mom about what the sketch was. And then basically it's like a video where it's like, be careful who you leave your kids with. And she asks Aries Spears to watch her son in the sketch. And the little boy's like in underwear and he's on the floor playing and then R. Kelly starts playing. My body's telling me yes. And um, Ari's is like looking through like peepholes in the newspaper and getting like horned up on about this like. Why is this funny? Child. It's not. So then he's in the tub. Like he gets in the tub with this boy. It happens three. It's like a sketch in threes. So it's like it keeps getting worse. And then they're in the tub together and it's really fucked. And I guess they showed Funnier Die and Funnier Die was like, we don't want this. Like, no, thank you. This isn't funny. So. But like Tiffany Haddish like is a is a person that knows what fun, what's funny. What? I, well, so then I was talking with some comics and like this this one comic was saying uh, like this is in 2013. Oh, this was a while ago. This is 2013. OK, so one comic was like. It was probably she was hustling. Aries was like, someone told me it was Aries. <laughs> so I've been saying Aries. But so someone was like, uh, so someone was like, maybe she was like, oh, I got to go do this sketch. Like, I- I'll do whatever. Oh, I have these kids. I'll grab these kids and we'll do the sketch. Um, I But it could be more nefarious because she's someone that was abused and usually abused people. Like, maybe she didn't even think anything was wrong or but she like, did I'm and I'm just lied. kind of like, where's the funny part? I just don't get the funny part. It seems like they're doing a sketch that's a reenactment of an SVU episode. Like, I don't get where the funny part comes Yeah, in. like, it's more of a PSA than anything. Um, But, yeah, I, I don't know why they thought it was funny. And then it's like, or is he a pedophile and wanted to be in a bathtub with this child in his underwear? So now what are they saying? It's, I mean, have you seen anything since? No, been locked down. I think they paid for great PR and lawyers and are just like lying low. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen because in my head, it's like, can you bounce back or not? And then it's like all of these molesters bounce back constantly. And how do we decide who does, who gets to and who doesn't? It's just like all so strange. Hmm. It's all just too much, but... She hired Prince Andrew's attorney. And for me, I'm like, you're so rich. Go to an island and live just like, I don't know. Is that a fucked up thing to say? Take your millions, go to an island and disappear for a while. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't think Aries is going to work ever again. But yeah, you should read it just in case I'm missing something on the Daily Beast. I read it twice. Okay. And yeah, but it was like her. It was like truly if I like took Rosie to go do something creepy. Yeah. So because it's like they trust you like you guys would trust me. Rosie would trust me. Yeah. And so it wasn't some strange actor kids. It wasn't a kid. She lied. It would be like if I lied to you and said, oh, it's just some funny thing. And then I grabbed Rosie and did some weird pedophile sketch. I don't even understand. I feel like I I feel like I want to watch it so I can understand. But I don't think I want to watch it. No, you don't. And Um, then the kid and then the kids are just like it fucked me up. I don't trust people. I don't like to be like it fucked them up because like. Their kids and nothing was explained to them, they were saying. So it was like, they. how does a kid brain distinguish yeah. between real or not? Like, the you did the damage whether you thought it was a sketch or not. Like, yeah. you kind of sexualized this child and, like, touched him. I, I, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's like, 
it's really strange because other things are very cut and dry. And this one is fucking twisted and weird. And since the article, I haven't heard anything that died immediately. Crazy. And how fucking crazy that she did kids say the darnest things. And so that means it's Bill Cosby and Tiffany are like the two people. Oh my God. Everybody needs to stop. Okay. Ugh. Well, All that's right. why porn star, the, this one porn star, Mickey Mod's always like, yeah, stop looking at us. We're in the adult industry. Go be suspicious yeah. of people that work We're with kids. We're openly fucking other adults. Go yeah. talk to the people that are, yeah, over there. Wait, I'm going to type it in. But yeah, nothing's going I can't believe we haven't talked about it. I mean, life's been so kind of go, go, go and fun. And yeah. so many good SVUs and guests that we forgot to kind of talk about this. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to move on to what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource like a, a charity an organization a book an article uh something to help flesh out a little bit what we talked about in today's episode today's episode was like kind of specific about these um th- this uh doctor both in both situations doctors like doing creepy uh shit with their girlfriends so i don't really know that there was any angle in there but i did uh really kind of it resonated with me this poor girl who was like drugged and had to like you know drag herself through the streets begging someone to help her so i kind of wanted to highlight this article on date rape drugs that i found at the u.s department of health and human services office on women's health and you can see on that what date rape drugs i think to me date rape drugs are just this sort of like ghosty thing like do they look like uh, a ritalin do they look like you know like i don't know what they even look like because you know thankfully i have not uh, ever give, been given one but uh, you can see what they look like, how they're used, how you can stay safe, and what to do if you are drugged and um, assaulted. So there's a lot of helpful info, info on there, and we will include the link to that in our show notes. And as always, on our Instagram, in our stories, the day the show gets released and then saved forever in our WWSPD highlight on Instagram. Thank you so much about that. And next week, please join us. We will be watching Double Strands. Very highly requested. We're giving it to you. Season 13, episode four. Hulu, Peacock, DVR, get on it. Get your VPNs going. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.